You're listening to the John Stapleton Podcast. Welcome back to the Bible study. My name is John Stapleton. Today we are in the book of Galatians, just moving along. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, why don't you turn to chapter 2. We're going to pick it up in verse 11 and finish chapter 2 today. Let's just jump right in. Here's what Paul says. But when Peter was, um, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Antioch was uh, a hub of Christianity. Uh, basically, the church was born in Jerusalem, and then the next hot place was Antioch. Antioch, if memory serves me correct, is the first place where uh, we were actually known as Christians, and uh, and so. And so they're having a meeting there, and Antioch has some Jews, it has some Gentiles, uh, and then Peter comes up to Antioch. He, he realizes, hey, Paul's been doing some work among the Gentile regions, let me go check on him and, and let me see what he's been doing. And, and so Peter is, is eating with uh, the Gentiles, and then here's what it says. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself, I always do that. Uh, Paul says, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Um, a lot of translations will say he stood condemned. Um, basically, and the New Living says what he did was not right. And then, I, I, so I, I want to say this. A lot of Christians don't believe in confrontation. A lot of Christians don't believe in confronting people for their own good. But, P, but Paul does. Paul says, hey, this is a brother. He's wrong. I'm going to correct him in love. And so this is what he does. I withstood him. I opposed him to his face. I stood up to him. I got in his face. I put my finger in his chest because he was to be blamed. In verse 12, for before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. Here's what he's saying. Um, He's saying, I, uh, he, he, he's saying Paul, uh, Peter would eat with the Gentiles. Peter was getting new friends. He was lear learning new customs. He was learning, um, he, he was having fun in the Gentile world. He was feasting with them uh, in the ancient world. Eating with someone was a sign of friendship. It was a sign of uh, closeness. It was a sign of proximity. And Peter was eating with them. This is a way of saying, I approve of you and, and, and we can have fellowship together. And, um, and then what happened was, the Jews, the Judaizers, came down to spy out, um, you know, uh, uh, to spy out the church's freedom. Paul would say in chapter two, earlier on in chapter two. And so Peter, to save face, because he's a proud Jew, Peter to save face, what he does is he he withdraw he 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 withdrew with them. Oh no, I I, I wasn't eating with those Gentiles. I, I wasn't around them. I, I don't know what you're talking about. This is almost like when uh, Peter did not want to be affiliated with Jesus, and so he he cussed, right, to show them, hey, no, I don't I don't talk like Jesus. I'm not I'm not one of Jesus' people. I'm not I don't know what you're talking about. And then he says, um, and then he says, verse 13, and other Jews and the other Jews dissembled likewise with him insomuch that Barnabas was also carried away with their dissimulation. 
uh, dissimulation or hypocrisy is the modern word for that. I'm reading from the King James today. Um, basically, what happened, Barnabas, if there was anybody that would uh, accept anyone, it's Barnabas. Barnabas is um, he's, he's an optimistic, happy person. You want to be around him. He's encouraging. And, um, you know, there's a story in Acts chapter 16, I believe it's 16, where there's this young guy named John Mark. And, uh, and we know him by Mark. But anyway, Mark joined Paul on a missionary journey, and he chickened out when he, when he saw the persecution. And so he ran. He, he decided, I'm, I'm done with the mission. I'm going back home. I'm deserting them. And so Paul's like, okay, fine. Um, and, and then later Barnabas is like, Hey, let's go on our second trip together. And I want to take, I want to take John Mark with us. And Paul's like, no, we're not taking him with us. He's a sellout. He's a sellout. And so Barnabas decided, you know, I'm still going to do ministry and I'm going to take John Mark with him. I'm going to give him a second chance. And, uh, Paul later took a guy named Timothy and they, they parted ways, but it just goes to show you how much of an encouragement John um, uh, Barnabas actually was. But even in this case, with the peer pressure of their Jewish friends, their Jewish relatives, the people that they respected, uh, the moment that they would have looked bad for hanging out with, um, with, with um, Gentiles, with Greeks, with, with, those, with those people, they, they, they withdraw, they give in to the peer pressure. And so somebody, whenever this happens, whenever uh, the most encouraging person gives in to the hypocrisy, Paul needs to step in. Paul needs, somebody needs to say something if someone isn't going to say anything. And so this is what Paul says. Verse 14, uh, when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, uh, the NASB says, when I saw that they were not straightforward about the gospel, uh, what this means is two things. They weren't clear about the gospel. Uh, the, the way their conduct was, was muddying the waters. It was very confusing for, uh, for non-believers watching. And two, they weren't progressing toward the gospel. They weren't moving in step with the gospel. Uh, they were veering off from the gospel. They weren't walking uprightly with the gospel. And so he says, when I saw that they were not walking uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, and I like this, by the way, the truth of the gospel. I don't want to zoom past that just, uh, just quite yet. The truth of the gospel, there's the gospel message, and then there's the truth of the gospel. And, and, and so this is where uh, a lot of Christians um, need to spend more time. When you read the gospels, you're not just reading the Gospels. You're not just reading the historical accounting of Jesus' life. You're not just trying to figure out the hypostatic union uh, of Jesus. You're not just trying to figure out, you know, his relationship with the Father and the Spirit. You're not trying to do those things. You're not just trying to study theology. Hopefully, you are studying theology. You need to know theology. There's a lot of wolves that know theology better than you, and they twist theology. What I'm saying is, when you go to the Gospels, you need to be asking yourself not just what is the gospel, but what is the truth of the gospel? What is the gospel actually actually pointing me toward? How did Jesus live? How did Jesus feel? How did Jesus? What did Jesus say in those situations? What was Jesus inclined to do? And how am I supposed to be like that? That is not just the gospel, but it's the truth of the gospel message. And Paul is going to hold them accountable to the truth of the gospel message. He says, I said to Peter before them all, He's not afraid of a little confrontation. He's not afraid to embarrass Peter a little bit. 
He says, if thou being a Jew livest after the manner of Gentiles and not as the do the Jews, um, and not as do the Jews, why compels thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? He's saying, listen, uh, we have laws that we struggle to keep up with and be faithful toward and obey fully. We don't obey all of them. So why do you expect people who have not grown up with the law to be a perfect adherence of the law? That's asinine. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't work like that. And then he says, we who are Jews by nature. And by the way, so, so here's the thing. At the end of verse 14, there are some commentators that in the quotation right there, some ended after verse 16 and some ended at the end of the chapter. Um, the beautiful thing about the King James is there are no quotation marks. So it kind of works like the original. You get to p- place them where you want to. Um, I tend to think that uh, I agree with most interpreters that this quotation actually goes through the end of the chapter through 21. But let's keep going because it's one, uh, I believe it's one argument that that just keeps on flowing. It says, verse 15, um, we who are Jews by nature and not Gentile and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Here's what he's saying. A lot of people, the Judaizers included, they failed to realize the purpose of the law. Why did God give us the law? Why did God create the law? The law is not a standard to achieve, but it's a mirror. It's a scan. It's a test result. It's a way of measuring ourselves against God's perfect holiness and realizing that we fall short. Humans think so much of themselves. They think so highly of themselves. Um, and, and, And the law of God exists to show people you're not as good as you think you are. Like, do the Ten Commandment test. Have you ever lied before? Have you ever coveted before? Have you ever wanted things that were not yours? Have you ever um, have you have you ever been happy when bad things happen to other people? Uh, have you ever um, have you ever been a workaholic? Have you have you dishonored the Sabbath? Have you um, have you stolen anything? Have you lied? Have you murdered? Have and Jesus will come along later and actually raise the bar by clarifying what these laws meant. He's saying, hey, it's not just adultery; it's lust. It's not just murder; it's hatred. All right, it's anger. And and when you when you peel back the curtain, we all, we all have those issues in our heart in seed form. And the difference between us and, let's say, we're sinners, so-called we're sinners, is capacity. Are you able to pull off that kind of evil? Like most of us cannot do what Hitler did. But if you had the money, if you had the resources, if you had the power, if you had the influence... What, what, what evil would you do? What would you be capable of? What would be unleashed to your power? And so the law reveals who we really are. Even when we try to keep it, we can't. And that's the point of the law. And so 
the law presents to us this impossible situation. This we're, we're kind of doomed. Um, you have to keep the law if you're going to live. There is a rich young ruler that came to Jesus and he says, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. Well, that's impossible. And this young man of his smug religious attitude says, well, I've kept them all. What's next? And Jesus, knowing that his heart wasn't in line with the law, he says, okay, how about this? Sell your God. Go sell all the money you have. Sell your possessions. Get rid of it all. And then follow me. Follow this homeless savior. I don't have a place to lay my head. Uh, I, I, I don't have any, uh, I don't have a 401k to give you. Uh, I, there's no security for the future except belief. Follow me. And you'll have riches in heaven. And he couldn't do it because what Jesus was exposing in his heart was the, the violation of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me or beside me. You see, the law isn't, uh, isn't something that we measure up to. It's a lo- It's something that shows us Here's where we are, and here's who God is, right? Here's who, here's where we are, and here's where God is. This is the dif- th- this is the distance between our righteousness and God's righteousness. And so Paul concludes: by works of the law, no one will be justified. No one. And then he explains, verse seventeen. He says, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? Does he serve sin? God forbid, or by no means. Um, by the way, the, there are some people that say that the King James doesn't have um, paraphrastic, uh, uh, you know, uh, dynamic renderings. God forbid is one of them. Uh, the Greek is kind of close or something to, you know, may it never be. Um, it, it's kind of, we don't have like a perfect way of rendering that, rendering that in English. But anyway... Um, he's saying, listen, if Jesus is extending grace to sinners and he's saving sinners and, and as a result, it seems like the law is being undermined because now we have Christ is Christ serving sin, right? Because the law was given so that we may not sin. The law was given as a safeguard against sin. And so if this is the role that Christ is, is pre- playing, then is he complicit with sin? Is he serving sin? Is he leading us in to sin? And, and Paul says, no, he's not. He's not. And then he's going to explain, verse 18. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am a dead am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Christ died for nothing. Here's, here's what he's saying. He says, if I rebuild again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. He's saying, listen, I am not trying to get you to go back to the law. I I am not tearing down the law, and I'm not trying to get you to go back to the law. I would be a hypocrite if I did that. But what I am pointing out is that is the purpose of the law. The law matters. 
I'm not, I'm not a lawless person. I'm not saying the law doesn't matter. The law matters, um, but we have to understand how the law works. The law works to show us how much we have fallen short of God's standard, how much we fall short. We are not good, right, perfect people. Jesus has to save us, and, and through a relationship with him, he cleans us up. He brings us more to the humanity that he created Adam to be. He creates us to be more like his son. He creates us to be more holy, more righteous, more the way we should be. And the gap between our righteousness and God's holiness closes the more we become more and more and more like Jesus, which is why Paul says, I'm actually dead. My interests, the, the things I were about, uh, they're dead. They're gone in the water. And you can even see this as Paul uh, reflects on his life in Philippians chapter three. He says, you know, I was, uh, I was, uh, I was the best of the best. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was of, of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, uh, as to the law, blameless, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. I, I, I was a Pharisee. Uh, I, 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 but you know, everything that was a gain to me is now lost because I've met Jesus. He is, um, Jesus once told a parable uh, in Matthew 13 of the hidden pearl. And it's this guy that just goes walking through the woods or, or through a meadow somewhere. And it's not very clear from the story. In fact, uh, let me let me go back. Uh, I don't believe this guy is intentionally looking for the pearl. I don't want to misquote the parable here. Uh, Matthew 13, 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hidden in a field, which when a man hath found, he hideth. So the way so the way Jesus tells the parable, it's not very clear if the man was looking for treasure or if he just stumbled upon it. I always read it as though he just stumbled upon it. But when he found it, he realized, oh my goodness, this is worth more than everything that I own. So I'm going to sell everything to buy this pearl. And the kingdom of heaven is like that. And Christ is like that. When you find Christ, he's worth more than all of your accomplishments. And so, as a sacrifice, a willful sacrifice, you give it all to him. And Paul, in a poetic turn of phrase, says, I died. I was crucified with him. It's like I was crucified with him on that day. And it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. His will, his emotions, his personhood, his you know, who he is and his will for my life and, and, and how he wants me to be, my nature, uh, how it's changing to be more righteous and more holy, to be more like God's nature uh, that is holy and perfect. Listen, this is the life of Christ in me. This is the life of Christ uh, being exhibited in me. He, he takes my life and he replaces it with a better life. And he says, I live this life by faith. This life is hard. And the thing that's going to get you through is faith. And, and I'll say this, the thing that's under attack right now is faith. Um, in the last days, the deceptions that abound are going to be more and more. They're going to be more convincing. Jesus has this line that's interesting in Matthew 24. He says, if it's possible that the, the Antichrist will deceive even the elect, even God's people, 
And, and so the question is, what is real? What's true anymore? Uh, this person saying this and that person saying that and the experts disagree, the so-called experts, and what's even true? Everything is falling apart. Everything, every institution's collapsing. And the thing that you have at the end of the day is your faith. We live this faith. We live this life by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Faith, listen, faith is not blind. Faith is based off of evidence, not proof, evidence. It's, it's, it's based off of a string of things that, that points to the validity, the truth of said statement. And it's by that faith that we make it through this life. God has given us things to go by. He hasn't revealed everything. God, God himself is a mystery, but he's revealed enough for us to wrestle with our faith. Some of you are like, I don't want to wrestle. I just want it to be easy. Listen, nothing in life that matters is easy, and that includes your faith. He says, I live this life by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. When, he, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for the world, but he died for you. For God so loved the world that he loved John Stapleton, that he gave his one and only son. Whoever, whoever's watching this right now, the same is true for you. This is personal for Paul. Theology is not just uh, so that we can have syllogisms to lob at other nerds. Theology is meant to help us through the grit of life. It's meant for us to live a life of faith, for us to carry this out. This is real life, guys. He's saying, I live this life through faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And then he says, I don't frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Christ died for nothing. Here's what he's saying. And he's going to get into this more in chapter 3. If I was able to do something to complete, to compensate the work of Jesus to save me, then listen, Christ didn't need to die at all. God could have just gave us another law, do this, and then do that, and then do this thing, and then you're good. But rather than giving us a prescription for uncleanliness, like we read about in Leviticus, God decided, I'm going to send my son, and it's going to be the final sacrifice. This is what the book of Hebrews is all about. It's going to be the final sacrifice for sin. I'm going to handle this once and for all so that the rest of this life, it doesn't need to be vain striving. It does, you don't need to be wondering, am I good with God? You, you don't need to do that. You just need to be in Christ, living life through faith, wrestling with doubt. Listen, doubt isn't the opposite of faith. It's a wrestle with faith. You know, the difference of faith is not doubt. It's indifference. Or it's staunch on belief. Doubt is, I want to believe this, but I just, I need help. And one of the things that sets Christianity apart from all other religions is grace. Paul says, I don't nullify the grace of God. I don't frustrate it. I don't treat it like it's no thing. I don't say, yeah, you're saved by the grace of God. Now do this thing. Because if you do this thing, well, now what is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is God giving you a boost. 
And if you feel like you can do this all by your own effort, why do you need grace? You're powerful enough. Except you're not, which is why God gives you his grace. That's chapter two. Next time will be in chapter three. God bless. I'll see you next time.